Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Friday, June the 16th. It's Bloomsday here in Dublin, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast wrap of the week from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. With me in studio today are the Book Mulligan of the political team, Pat Leahy, and the Molly Bloom of the team, which is, of course, Harry McGee. Oh, my God. Happy Bloomsday to you both. Thank you very much. Um, I'm determined to beat this metaphor to death throughout the podcast, well, by the way, to, 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 to as celebrate usual, this great looking, day. Looking at things through the cracked looking glass of a servant, isn't that right? Yes, all of that. Put down it's that not lemon, green sea. Let's, uh, put down that lemon soap, Pat, and tell us about what is, I think, our major story of the last couple of days, which is we have Mike been Zola and, uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah all of that. All, all right. of that. Nutty gizzards. We're going to get, through, get, get rid of them all in the first 30 seconds, are we? Okay, okay, okay mor- moratorium on... Just, yes, just yes, and yes. Um, tell us about our poll. Uh, yeah, we so um, listeners have seen, we published uh, our latest Ipsos opinion poll, party support and governmental leader satisfaction yesterday, known internally as the Beauty Parade, and further findings on uh, choices for uh, budget and attitudes to climate change uh, today. So just to run very briefly through the findings on yesterday, Sinn Féin and Fianna Fine Gael both down four, Sinn Féin to 31%, Fine Gael down to 18%. We might come back and talk about that. Fianna Fáil up three to 21%. Greens and Labour steady on four each. Social Democrats up by three to 5%. Uh, and the Independents and others steady, uh, sorry, up to, to 17%. That increase fueled by a point on for A2, which registers at 1%, and a point on to for the people before profit, which are now at two percent, uh, which leaves the independence, ind- the independent independence at fourteen percent. So the numbers that jump out there, because apart from anything else, they're outside the margin of error, are the moves for Sinn Fein and Fine Gael, and indeed, after we look at them, maybe we look at at, at the Sock Dems, which is quite an interesting number in its own right. But Fine Gael in particular, they've been in the news a lot. Over the last few weeks, more than any other Irish political party, I think it's fair to say, uh, one never knows exactly how much that that narrative strikes a chord with the, you know, with the general population, particularly when you're that far out from an election. But whatever effect it had, it didn't seem to do any good anyway. Well, yeah, two, I suppose two reasons that Fine Gael were in the, the, the news a lot uh, lately, apart from you know the whole thing of leading the government. But um, so. Uh, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar through the medium of three junior ministers and then thereafter himself in an interview with the Irish Times uh, very much making the case for tax cuts for Middle Ireland in the uh, in the forthcoming budget. And um, it was kicked off by an op-ed by three junior ministers the Irish Independent followed by the Taoiseach in his interview with ourselves and on several occasions since Fine Gael have, uh, have talked about this need to deliver tax cuts for the hard-pressed Trencher men and women of Middle Ireland. Um, that caused some friction, as we discussed here previously, with his coalition colleagues, but he certainly wasn't resiling from it. 
The other reason I suppose Fine Gael were in the the news in in in, in the past week was there was several pieces in the Sunday papers, all of them similar in tone and in context, quoting, I suspect, people who were the same uh, anonymous sources, expressing concern and unhappiness to varying degrees with the leadership of uh, of Leo Varadkar. Very much saying that there wasn't a prospect of a heave, but there was, you know, the sort of unhappiness in the party that, that, that might presage a heave against him uh, in the future. So on top of that, then comes this deeply disappointing poll for Fine Gael, which brings them down to 18%. And like, Fine Gael haven't been lower than that since 1994 in this series, which is several lifetimes ago, uh, Hugh. Even you were young uh, in, in 1994. Or... Very young. I was very young. But, yeah. <laughs> I think the Taoiseach was probably doing his junior search or something. But, um, and, um, you know, so that is, it's a milestone for Fine Gael to be down there. And it comes at a time that I think the party, having found itself back in the Taoiseach's office uh, since last December, expected that the trajectory was going to be different. Mm. It expected that its trajectory and that of its leader would be up and uh, and not down. But that isn't what happened. And that is given, I suppose, an added piquancy for, uh, for the party by the fact that Fianna Fáil is up by three points. So, so it's a bad poll for Fianna Gael and for its leader who... Let's not forget, dropped off by six points in his personal rating as well. Harry, why do you think Fine Gael are doing so badly right now? As, you, as, as Pat said, there was kind of an expectation that, you know, being being back at the top of government would help, you know, that the party would get have a higher profile and would benefit from that. Yeah, I mean, I think there was concern within Fianna Fáil when the transition was made um, in uh, December when Leo Vradkirk became Taoiseach and Michal Martin became Taunishta, that Martin's his exposure would 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 fall like a, a lead balloon, but that hasn't happened. And um, Martin has remained his his personal ratings are down in this poll, but he has his personal ratings through successive polls have remained have remained high. Whereas Radker has failed to make the impact uh, this time round that he made uh, when he became Taoiseach in 2017, especially during the early months of COVID in 2020. I think there are other number of reasons uh, for it. I think uh, Fine Gael, um, in the normal course of events, would probably have gone into coal, into opposition after the last election. But because of the way in which the nature of our politics has changed, that wasn't possible. We'd moved from a, a two-party uh, hegemony to, to a more complex uh, political settlement. And I mean, you must remember that Fine Gael have now been 12 years in power, you know, and that's a very long time. I think they have been in power almost as long as every other government, uh, bar one, that Eamon de Valera uh, led uh, 60 or 70 years so that's ago. that's unheard of for Fine Gael in particular. For I mean, they, they've, never, they've never been in power. They, they've, they've never... They, they they've never, never previously done two consecutive terms. Yeah, yeah. So, Not to mind three. So there's a, I think there's a little bit of uh, fatigue as well. I mean, Leo Vradkar is still a relatively young man, but he became leader as a young man as well. And I, I, I think that there's probably not the same uh, amount of energy our uh, dynamism uh, surrounding his leadership at the moment. He's he's been he's he's been relatively subdued uh, since um, since taking over at uh, Christmas. And uh, the Tonishta, funny enough, uh, has uh, been almost as prominent in the headlines as the Taoiseach has, and not least uh, yesterday uh, when he had that extraordinary row in the Doyle uh, with uh, Paul 
Murphy. I was actually interested. I was I was I'm doing a piece uh, for next week on on Fianna Fáil. I was looking back at some of the poll data from uh, 2012, 2013, and 2014, and you kind of forget about these things when you're kind of doing everything on a week to week basis. Uh, but Sinn Fein polled very highly back uh, a decade ago as well uh, in a poll that the Irish Times uh, Ipsos uh, conducted in October of 2014. Uh, Sinn Fein were on 24% support. They were equal with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil were back at 20%. Uh, and I, I was surprised at that. Um, so did, it, is, is Sinn Féin's high showing in the polls a kind of a midterm thing or are we looking at a more permanent change? I think it's different now than it was uh, 12 years ago. I think the water charges, uh, austerity and all of those things were playing. And I think the people midterm wanted to respond uh, to uh, their, or to record their displeasure at some of the policies uh, that were being advocated by the government. But I do think it's different now, but I still think that they're showing uh, in recent polls of up to 35% is probably a little bit too high and that their natural number when it comes to close to an election would be closer to maybe 27, 28, 29% uh, with Fine and Fianna Fáil uh, lagging uh, behind. Well, that is extremely interesting, Pat, because if that's the case, and I know you have said this many times, it is still all to play for. We're a long way out anyway from an election. But, you know, some people were predicting that Sinn Féin, I suppose, would march on and take their position in the low 30s as a kind of a benchmark from which they could grow, whether they would seek to grow, maybe up into the mid 30s uh, or even the high 30s as one or two other polls um, from other posters have shown them. But maybe not. Maybe there is a plateau. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look back at the the trend of the last number of polls, you would say that that inexorable rise of Sinn Féin that began just before the last election and continued for the first couple of years of this period of government had more or less abated, that the party had plateaued in the mid uh, in the mid thirties, and uh, you know today's or yesterday's poll shows them back down in uh, in the low thirties. My 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 guess is that their their current state of equilibrium is somewhere in the low, in, in the mid, mid to low 30s. And does that change massively before the next election? You know, hard to say, but you'd wonder what would drive it if it is. Now, it's very clear, right, that what has driven a lot of that increase in Sinn Féin support is deep unhappiness about uh, housing amongst many younger voters who poke into their demographics, you see, uh, you you see that. But is that concern real and substantial? Though it is, is that necessarily going to increase before the next election, or does the gradual production of housing, thirty thousand houses a year, whatever, does that chip away at it? I mean, there's push and pull in uh, in in either direction. Uh, so. I think, you know, that we're probably in a, uh, you know, we're probably in that period before the electoral competition really hits in. We're still in, uh, we're still in midterm. So from the point of view of the parties themselves, or a party like Sinn Féin, what's, you know, what's the job to be done at the moment, this far out from an election? Is it about calibrating positions as we've seen them do with certain key policies, get them to where you want them to be? Sure, so you can go back to them in a campaign and the public recognises them. And Sinn Féin have done that very successfully with uh, with housing. But we must always bear in mind that, okay, so hard to talk about 10 years ago, but the structure of our politics has changed so much. And there's been such a massive de-alignment from, you know, traditional loyalties uh, in our politics uh, that what it means 
I think, is that our policies are a lot more volatile and there are many more votes available during an election campaign and immediately before an election campaign to parties that can strike a chord with the electorate. We saw Sinn Féin surf that wave of a desire for change in the last general election. The Greens too, too, um, to a certain extent. And it is possible that they kick on and uh, and get that mantle for change uh, again in the next uh, in the next. Because campaigns but really not, matter. But uh, campaigns really matter. But it's it's not certain. Campaigns are uncertain. Much to your pleasure, Hugh. I'm going to use a JA uh, analogy now. Um, Sinn Féin are a little bit like Derry uh, in terms of their current uh, Donegal in the past, in that they have been very successful in terms of advocating a blanket defence policy. Housing has been their thing, and as Pat said, they've also picked a couple of very uh, uh, strategic key issues that are not necessarily massive, but go very down very well with voters and with punters. Piers Doherty in particular has been amazing in terms of, of his campaigns in relation to insurance, in relation to cost of living. And a lot of them have come right for him. And his mortgage interest relief one at the moment is very, very topical and probably on trend to use marketing jargon. I don't know if if his, his mortgage interest relief policy uh, makes any sense or is going to, only going to cost 400 million as euro as he claims but he certainly got the public attention and what the government has been doing rather than coming and looking at ways of unpicking that blanket defence is that it's been responding to the Sinn Féin narrative and defending its actions in relation to housing and in relation to other things I, I think the, the election campaign is going to be a, di- a, a kind of a dichotomous one you're going to have a narrative on housing coming from the opposition mainly from Sinn Féin and other issues cost of living uh, energy costs and what have you. And then you have the economic miracle argument uh, coming uh, from the government. But the government realised that the economic miracle argument, the full employment, uh, the economy doing well, isn't going to cut the mustard as much as it did in the past. And the findings from the poll this morning, as Pat was explaining, perhaps are redolent of that, that people are no longer as interested in getting tax cuts as they are in public investment and services that extend from transport uh, to the environment to health and to housing. So the, uh, uh, the politics has changed, as Pat said. There's been a fundamental uh, shift away from the hegemony of two to, to a kind of a more, uh, to, a, to a situation where there is far more churn. But the issues have also changed. It's the economy, stupid, is no longer a winning political slogan. It certainly helps, but it's not going to get you all the way. And I think the government parties have not been as clever as Sinn Féin in terms of choosing their narrative and choosing the tale they want to tell about performance and well, politics. Can I, can I just j- jump in there to, to extend a GA metaphor or to have an even more... Uh, By the way, I have no cl- problem of GA metaphors. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. In fact, but I would this, point out no, we'll that I know, enough I, about, that. I know enough I about the GAA to <laughs> say that, that Sinn Féin don't have the kind of management problems that have faced both Derry and Donegal in recent years. So I do know something about it. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think maybe one of the ways uh, to look at the approach the next election campaign is the uh, is the way my 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 father-in-law looks at, uh, at hurling matches. Uh, he is not he does not come from what one might term a traditional hurling stronghold, um, but he maintains uh, now that he has uh, grandsons who play uh, who play hurling. He maintains that there is um, there, there, there's no point in watching the first uh, the first sixty minutes of, of a hurling match. Just tune in for the last ten minutes, and you'll see what will happen because the whole game is decided. In uh, he does have a point last, on that. He does. He does have a point. Have a bit election for sure. Have yeah. a bit of a point. Not both, every election, both in relation to, yeah. uh, to to hurling matches, but also I think in relation to elections. There's always a swing yeah. in the last number of Irish general elections. There's been a swing 
in the during the couple of weeks of the campaign and it has mostly gone in one direction. Very decisive in 2020. And I think the last time it was really decisive was in 2007 when Bertie Hearn came back for the third time. The polls were showing him lagging behind. And then in the last week, there was a huge swing where Fianna Fáil came back. But the, the, the 2020 campaign really turned on I really don't want our listeners to get the idea that they can just switch off this podcast for 12 months and then come back in when we get into the election <laughs> uh, situation. There's going to be lots of fascinating stuff that we're going to be talking about in relation to that. I do have one last question in relation to this new political fragmented landscape you mm-hmm. talk about there, Pat. Um, maybe this is over schematic, but within that landscape, it seems to me that certain parties are in direct competition with certain other parties for certain slices of the yes. electorate. For example, it seems unlikely to me that Fine Gael is going to capture a lot of Sinn Féin voters or vice versa. But within that, the biggest competition, it seems to me, is between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. And that is a potential source for instability in these latter chapters of this government. Yeah, I've written about this a few times, that it's going to be very difficult for the two parties to be collaborators in government, but electoral rivals. But that's one of the things they're going to have to do. And I think in the uh, unrest in recent weeks in response, the annoyance in Fianna Fáil to a lesser extent in the Green Party about Mr. Varadkar's solar runs on the uh, on the budget and his, you know, what they perceive as seeking to use his position in government for Fine Gael's advantage rather than to promote the interests of the government as uh, as a whole. I think we see in that a sign of things to come uh, for the government over its remaining 18 months. Right. We will take a quick break now just to remind you that if you haven't already, you really should subscribe to the Irish Times. Go to irishtimes.com slash subscribe in order to do that. We'll be back after this. And welcome back. Harry, I did want to touch on this very good result. Um, maybe it's a one-off, maybe it isn't, um, for the Social Democrats. I mean, it's a pretty impressive jump. For uh, yeah, jump of, of three. I mean, you always have to take the, the margin of error uh, into account but certainly uh, the... Um, Sorry, Harry, just just on a, on a point of, of clarity, 3% is outside our margin of error, which is 2.8, 2.7%. Yeah, no, I'm saying I'm, I'm yeah. taking it into account. No, yeah. three, Excellent. 3% is our 2.7, 2. 2.8. Uh, pr- proceed. I said outside the margin, <laughs> <laughs> margin of error. I'm, I'm, I'm staying out. My <laughs> math teacher there is just correcting it. I see the red biro coming out, correcting my homework as I speak. Yeah, it's a very uh, it's a very significant uh, uh, jump for 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 the Social Democrats, and it does show. I mean, if if you were to look at just one factor to identify, uh, the easy peasy one would be that there's been a change of leadership, and its new leader Holly Cairns is beginning to make uh, an impact. Now, I think that uh, when she stands up for leaders' questions, uh, she tends not to be shouty. She tends more to uh, be uh, discursive. She 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 has a script. And she she cleaves to the script. I think she perhaps needs to move away from it a little bit just in terms of her presentation because it does sometimes read a little bit too clever by half. How but much does that matter to the general voter? Not really. She if she if if she is able to deliver one or two paragraphs that will that will be picked up by the airwaves and picked up by the news and picked up by the various radio stations. Would her performance up on radio programmes and TV shows not be more important than that? They they would, but the 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 visibility will come on the news channels and um, the news channels will, will feature, say, leaders' questions. And if if she is visible on leaders' questions and making points that, that have resonance. Yeah, I suppose uh, the voters, reason I ask is, because, and I know you guys spend all your time, most of your time up there looking at people standing up and giving delivery in the doll. And I suspect that a lot of people, particularly the kind of people who are indicating support for the Social Democrats, urban, younger, 
um, um, skew a little bit female. They look at that stuff in the doll and they go, this doesn't look like the Ireland that I know and I live in. And they look at Holly Cairns and oh, yeah, they say she, she does. She, 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 res- she resonates so strongly with, the, mm. with that age group. If you ever go to a Social Democrats convention, what will strike you is, uh, unlike every other party, with the exception perhaps of the Greens, um, their, their, their members are really, really young. Um, um, and there was a little bit of... Of course, we're getting to the stage of our lives where a lot of meetings we go to... Everybody, everybody looks, looks a bit young, young but you know? they look particularly young. So I, I think that its its leadership now kind of accords with its membership, whereas when Roisin and uh, Catherine were there, they were both very effective political performers, but they're both veterans, have been around for, for a long time, and I, I think that the change of leadership has done the Social Democrats no harm at all. And that's reflected in the poll. Do they have the capacity jump. not just to eat Labour's lunch, which is obviously one of the prime things that they might do, but to even to go further than that? I mean, they're up at what around, in, in Dublin, they were around 10% or close, not, not too far off. Yeah, they're a stretch of the Greens as well, I think, mm. you know. Um, and also some evidence actually that uh, that they're pulling some support away from Sinn Féin, which saw uh, a drop in its younger voters, younger urban voters in um, uh, in in this poll. And I think that's interesting because it's the first indication that there could be some threat from the opposition to uh, to Sinn Féin's current hegemony on, on that side uh, of the House. I mean, I think, you know, I think what Holly Kearns has earned for herself is a bit of interest from people. And that gives her an opportunity to be heard by them. And if she can use that opportunity, then she can consolidate uh, on those gains. I think probably what you're seeing in, in this poll is a bit of novelty value and a bit of interest from lots of voters in what she has to say. If she can, uh, if she can build on that and utilise that opportunity, then she could be a more significant player after the next election than her predecessors were after the last because one. Because the fact is, Harry, I mean, we look at the other results, the other things that we asked um, people in this opinion poll were about their views on the economy, um, what the balance should be in terms of tax cuts versus expenditure increases in infrastructure or schools or hospitals. And generally the picture is that, and we've seen this in previous polls, mm-hmm. is that Ireland is by and large a centre-left country in terms of its its views on those issues. And... Um, the Social Democrats, the name is on the tin. They're a centre-left party. I know they're not the only party that, that is kind of claiming possession of that ground, but they're fairly and nearly there. everyone else is. Well, yeah. indeed, well, indeed. Yeah, that's, that's you, know, you know, maybe you go for the original of the species then, yeah. the party that calls themselves Social Democrats. You know, and as, as Sinn Féin um, develops as a party, it becomes more centre than, than left. I mean, maybe five or six years ago, you would have seen it as a decidedly left party, but now it, is, it too is... is, is um, is travelling uh, towards the centre at the speed uh, of light. I mean, we are a, a centrist, slightly left of centrist uh, country in terms of our politics and the governments that tend to um, uh, operate in Ireland and have operated in Ireland, especially over the last two or three decades, have, have hovered around the centre. And there's no there's no mystery to that. I think if you want to govern in Ireland, I, th- I think you have to be, you know, a, a, a pragmatic, uh, malleable party that, that that goes a little bit of right, goes a little bit of left to the centre. And at the moment, the current trend, as the poll indicates, is very much to the left of centre. Not very much, a little bit to the left of centre. We've we've talked enough on this podcast over the last couple of weeks, Pat, about the, the Fine Gael flag flying, about tax cuts and all that. But this poll does seem to reinforce again that that is a, that is a political proposition that applies to a pretty small slice of the electorate, relatively speaking, doesn't it? 
Yeah, now we probably knew that before the Fine Gael kite flying. What surprises me about this is that, and you know, it still may be a viable strategy. If it's not a, even though it might not be a majority preference, it could still be a viable political strategy because Fine Gael isn't aiming to win 51% of the vote. I think it'd be very happy to win half that in uh, in the next election. And, you know, if there was, you know, 25, 30% of the of the population that viewed tax cuts as a political uh, imperative when it goes to cast a vote, then that would be good news for Fine Gael. But what today's poll shows is that it's a good deal smaller than that. It's 9% of people view when asked a series of options as to how the surplus should be used. Um, It was very far behind. Tax cuts was very far behind both spending on public services on a day-to-day basis, but also increased investment in public infrastructure. So infrastructure was the most popular option. Is that right? I think. It was. It was. Of the options, invest in public, in building infrastructure such as public Transport, housing, hospitals and schools, that was the first choice of 40% spent on public services such as health and education. That was the first choice of 25% of people and a long way back implement tax cuts. It was the first choice of just 9%. What was interesting about, uh, interesting about that, I thought, was that Fine Gael voters were no less enthusiastic about tax cuts than the population at large. That is to say, the number was also 9% for, uh, for Fine Gael. Now, I think part of the reasoning within uh, Fine Gael is that, you know, people might not necessarily say they're in favour of, uh, of tax cuts, but, you know, they'll be very happy to get them uh, all the same. And there may be some truth to that. But it still suggests it is a difficult message to run on uh, in in that election campaign to which we're yeah, looking forward. Yeah, because you kind of that, that I saw uh, that was the, the 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 figure that jumped out at me when I was reading it this morning. The nine percent figure amongst Fine, Fine Gael supporters. So it seems to to uh, and then you kind of say, well, you know, aren't aren't all these um, parties, you know, bound to the focus groups that they conduct? Sure. What the voters so are they hearing differently? Want? Maybe I, I'm not sure if they are or not. But 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 Fine Gael is not just a kite. They've they've flown a whole flotilla of kites in relation to this and have maintained it. Uh, irrespective of of all the kind of criticism that they've got from other quarters and in the media uh, as well. So obviously... So somebody's it, telling them that strategically this is the right thing uh, to do. Or, or else that's so ideologically baked into the party that they just yeah, can't I don't think depart. that's the case, though. No, so I don't think I mean, so. there's a political strategy there, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Is there so, not also, as they're not always been, or, or, or very often been going right back to the Gareth Fitzgerald years, a sense in one part of Fine Gael that the party has strayed from its true blue fiscal conservative values and got a bit too social democrat, for want of a better word. And you do hear that. You do hear a little bit of that grumbling about Fine Gael that it's lost touch with its roots and it's just it's just another part of the centre left much now. But I don't know if that actually has any electoral valence for the party at all. Yeah, well, I mean all big parties are coalitions, you yeah. know, but uh there yeah, there always has been that tradition in Fine Gael. Actually it played out a fair bit during the uh during the Fine Gael leadership election campaign, if you if you recall it, because Simon Coveney was very much running he was the just society the candidate. the just society tradition yeah. mm-hmm. within uh, within Fine Gael and Leo Varadkar was talking about the people who get up early in the morning um and i think his pitch uh, on the tax cut thing in recent weeks has been very much aiming for that uh, for the people who get up in the morning um sort of platform and i i suspect he will continue with it now you know the reality is of course that the government is going to do all of these things 
with the surplus. It's going to do all of these things in the budget. It's not an either-or situation when it comes to tax cuts, public spending. Yeah. All of them are going to be increased. I, Recent I, budgets have increased public spending by eight or nine times as much as they have spent on uh, on tax increases. Maybe, you know, maybe that balance might be shifted a little bit. So it's not there, really about vast differences in policy between these government parties. No, it's it's nuance, about, it's yeah. about shift and a nuance here and there. And it's about a kind of a planting a flag on the top of a mountain. Yeah, but election, this elec- is what, this but is election campaigns yeah. sharpen differences, you know, and sure. a parties must so tend to be very different in the course of election yeah. campaign. You'll see that even with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in recent elections and you'll see it again in the last election. But yeah, there might be an element of what Pat was saying of people kind of wanting tax cuts but not really wanting to say they want yeah. uh, tax cuts. It's kind of the shy Tory phenomenon. One of the interesting things You on, monster, how could you want tax cuts when there's well, so exactly. many things that need to be done? Yeah. Well one of the things on, on interesting things on, on I was listening to the late debate last night and they were talking about Sinn Féin's um, um, proposals in relation to mortgage interest relief for those who are on the uh, on the tracker mortgages and there was quite a lot. I mean it's only of course it's not scientific it was just text coming into a radio station but there seemed to be quite a lot of blowback in relation to this. The people said that those who were on tracker rates benefited uh, when everybody else was paying much higher rates and now they want to benefit as well it's a fair when point. everybody else is beginning to benefit from it's a fair it. Point. So you see that there is a variance and, and, and maybe Fine Gael are playing that. They know that there's a certain cohort in the, in the electorate who feel that, that other people are getting things a little bit too easily but they're not getting anything in return. That's interesting. Especially since by, since by definition, those are the people who stay up late at night rather than the people who get up early in the Maybe morning. stay up late at um, night and get up early in the morning. Right, well, we yeah, know. but there's a whole theory of, 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 of bedtimes there, though, isn't it? So maybe the people on trackers are people with kids, so they're also knackered that they've already gone to bed, maybe. Okay, Lee's theory of bedtimes, I think, is something <laughs> we might return to in our political analysis over the next while. But uh, we are going um, to wrap it up shortly, but we always like to choose some articles that caught our attention in the Irish Times over the course of the week. And Harry, you were looking at our coverage of the um, the ever fascinating story of Boris Johnson and his adventures in Parliament. Uh, absolutely. And Mark Paul, our London correspondent, was covering this in depth uh, during uh, the week. And I said, Boris Johnson uh, is a fascinating uh, subject matter in politics, irrespective of where you stand. And Mark's coverage has been extraordinary. So he, he uh, took the hump before he was pushed and left uh, the Mark was writing yesterday that the that the the real test of Boris Johnson's enduring popularity will come on Monday uh, when the House of Commons uh, uh, um, will vote on the uh, report that was produced by the Committee of Privileges. So, as Mark is saying, uh, Tory MPs at that moment uh, will have to pick a side. It will be time for scores on the doors. And his argument in the piece that he wrote yesterday was. Uh, that uh, whatever influence uh, that Boris Johnson uh, had within the Tory party is much diminished now and he will only be supported and defended by a handful of his erstwhile colleagues in the Conservative Party. I did notice, Pat, that the um, the cover of this morning's UK Daily Mail, which I always eat over my boiled egg, obviously, uh, I always read over my boiled egg rather than eat, uh, is, um, has a headline excoriating the Tories for the vicious way in which they've treated the great political leader is Boris. And then across the strip at the top, there's starry new columnist coming tomorrow with a big question mark. And I'm going, well, who could that new Who, who could that be? Oh, right, be? Okay. Yeah, yeah, because of course, we previously had a column in the Telegraph, uh, yeah. but uh, maybe the mail is a, uh, is a is a more opposite home for him. One thing that strikes me about this point actually is, is that, you know, for all the 
division and depredation of the Johnsonian era in British politics, that the system has proved to be kind of self-correcting. I mean, here's this kind of liar, chancer, charlatan. But he was eventually forced to resign. Alleged and now, liar, alleged chancer. Well, actually not alleged anymore. I think we can go on that one, Hugh, you know, um, <laughs> notwithstanding your own natural caution in these matters. Um, but uh, but he, he was chucked out. He was chucked out and now he's been chucked out of Parliament effectively by his own people. So that the system was kind of self-correcting. Whereas in the US, where there's, I suppose, an equivalent figure in some respects, it's not at all clear if their system will be self-correcting and will return to its previous equilibrium. It's very, 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 very good point, very good point. It. Worth noting as well that this week saw the um, saw the uh, death of uh, Silvio Berlusconi, who in many ways was the original of this particular species, you know, in terms uh, of his And Glenn Jackson within, passed away this week as well. Who was a significant political figure as well as a double Oscar winner. And, and Christy Dignam, you know. Yes. It's like mori. What were you reading? Um... Yeah, honourable mention, I think, uh, for Dan McLaughlin, who's back in, uh, who's back in Ukraine, doing really good stuff uh, from from there. People he's in the he's in the, the Dnieper Valley down downstream yeah. of where the dam was 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 blown up and talking to the people whose lives have been ruined there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but actually, the piece that I picked is another piece from our foreign pages, and I suppose while we're in the business of of, of tooting uh, our own horns, we might note in in, in passing that. You know, we have, at, at, you know, at great expense, we have Irish people all over the world reporting on the world from an Irish perspective on our farm pages. And one of those is Sally Hayden, who's done, you know, amazing work in uh, in Africa. And she's writing today about the uh, the latest mass drowning in the Mediterranean uh, in a in a quite an angry piece. Um, uh, the headline of which is "How have we normalized mass drowning?" And uh, she's writing, of course, very much from the from the perspective of the migrants and the families of people who who drowned off the coast of uh, of Greece uh, during the week, and she makes the point that that you know Europe isn't passive in uh, in all this. There's she has been prolonged and decisive action. Europe has spent decades erecting borders to keep uh, to keep people out. Difficulty, of course, always far for European politicians. Um, uh, I think is that. That is exactly what their electorates are demanding that they do. And if European politicians don't make attempts to uh, to to patrol their borders, then they will get chucked out. And people who have much more aggressive uh, uh, aggressive attitudes to these things will be voted uh, in uh, into office. But a really good piece yeah, by no, Sally really today. Strong and piece and Sally does great work, reminding us what the reality of these these policies and these things actually mean for people's lives for tens of thousands of people who have yeah, died. Yeah. In and fact. there's one just amazing paragraph in the middle of it and uh, she writes, when we talk about refugees, let us always be reminded that refugee is a legal status. It is not an excuse to disregard the humanity of anyone. Refugees are people like you and me. Have we reached a stage where the right to life is up for debate? Question mark. And it's just an extraordinary yeah. piece from, from an extraordinary the, writer, really. Yes, absolutely. The, the piece I chose, moving from the universal to the uh, to the quite particular, we started talking about Bloomsday. And my piece is actually a video, which is on uh, irishtimes.com right now. It's our Dublin editor, uh, Olivia Kelly. Um, she went out with our very talented, award-winning videographer, Brian O'Brien, to retrace the steps of Leopold Bloom on June the 16th, 1904. Uh, Olivia was in search of filth, 
not the first person to be searching for, for uh, <laughs> searching vainly sometimes for, for filth through, through Ulysses. But in this case, she was looking for the real thing because we've had some coverage earlier in the week in columns about how absolutely, uh, and this is a, um, a true Dublin phrase, how absolutely manky the city is at the moment when it gets hot and sticky and there's rubbish everywhere. So anyway, she went out, she went to she went to Davy Burns where you can get your gorgonzola sandwich, sandwiches uh, on Duke Street. That didn't look too bad. She pointed to the big hole in the ground which has been there for a long time at the Keys where the Ormond Hotel used to be but things got really messy I think when she got into the north inner city and landed up on Foley Street which in a previous incarnation would have been Montgomery Street the heart of Dublin's red light district that's all that was all cleared out by the Legion of Mary I think uh, in the 1920s but now it's still pretty filthy actually and she you know, Brian films all this all this nasty stuff here. I have to say, there's there's a lot of feces around, you know, and the you know they this, don't. This, this smell it's on some Dublin the, streets. It's pretty appalling, it's and it's disgusting. it's not. They didn't, you know, they're they're intrepid investigative journalists, but I don't think they investigated the the origin of the feces to uh, to kind of phrase. But they, um, it, it was. I don't think it was a dog. Uh, I'll put it that way, and it was all pretty unpleasant. And I think there's a. There's a serious problem in our city, which which has really shown up in summer. And I know our summers are short. It started raining outside, and like Travis Bickle, all the all the filth is going to be washed away for a couple of days. But there's something really wrong with the way the city is is run. But also, it's like eminently solvable as a point. While we're you know while we're in the business of polemics, I mean, it's eminently solvable. I mean, it's, it's solving the housing crisis is quite tricky. You know, figuring out what to do with you know uh, tens of thousands of refugees coming here is, uh, is, is, is hard. But keep, keeping the flipping streets clean is not difficult. Yeah, I mean, this, when you get these kind of subjects, it always reminds me, Pat, you, you as, a, as a Latin scholar will, of course, appreciate this, that the most ridiculous thing about Dublin is its motto, which is obedienta civium urbis felicitas, which, as you know, means the obedience of the citizens produces a happy city. And I suppose we see that every time we go out onto the streets of Dublin. Got your last contribution there is almost worthy of a chapter of Ulysses, uh, Hugh. <laughs> We shall leave it there. We've had enough chapters. We've had too many chapters. It's been a very long read today. So apologies for that. But thanks very much to Pat and to Harry for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Suzanne Brennan. Our engineer is JJ Vernon. And we're going to be back with you very soon indeed. But until then, goodbye and have a very nice Bloomsday.